Uh, hello, and welcome to a brand new podcast coming at you from Project Derailed. This is going to be a Scooby-Doo podcast that at the time of recording is yet to be named. If you've been following Project Derailed for a while, you'll know that at least some of us are like weirdly into Scooby-Doo, so we decided to finally bite the bullet and finally make a Scooby-Doo podcast. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you've been listening to ad- other Project Derailed shows, you might recognize my voice. I am Fiona L.F. Kelly, and my other host here is... Roger Page. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, we really wanted to do a Scooby-Doo podcast. We had talked about it for a really long time now and decided to uh, finally do it and see where it goes. Today, we are going to be talking about two properties in the uh, Scooby-verse. We're talking about the first live-action movie, Scooby-Doo the movie. And uh, we also watched the first two episodes of Velma, which now came out a couple days ago. And we'll be briefly touching on those as well. But let's get to know us a little bit first. So uh, I believe we're going to talk about like what, like why we like Scooby Doo, what endears us to Scooby Doo, um, mm-hmm. which may help as you listen to our discussion on the things we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to go first, Roger? Uh, sure. Um, so I think for me, I think something that comes to mind when I think of Scooby Doo is like this, uh, and, and probably because of that's how the the show was you know, created to begin with is that it was kind of in line with this, uh, you know, like animated, uh, wacky animated animal kind of character, um, with teenager format. And I think what comes to mind is I think of like how consistent the Scooby-Doo kind of like formula is that it's just like a very solid, like baseline for a group of characters. Um, you know, that you have all these like tropes and things like that. And so I think that like, Scooby-Doo is like a a really good like backbone to a lot of stories that it can just kind of create very satisfying episodes or movies or series. Of course, sometimes people take that kind of shit on it. But, um, you know, I think it's one of those things that it's it's one of the few examples I can think of in our like current like form that really kind of has that level of applicability and you can just really go back to this well over and over and over again. I think on like a more personal kind of note, I think I've watched a ton of Scooby-Doo and still have not seen all of it. <laughs> uh, there will definitely be some things that we're going to be watching over the course of this. I imagine that um, will be new to me. Um, but there's a lot of things that I've definitely watched. I think growing up, I actually wasn't super into the show, ironically, like as a kid. Um, I just didn't... I didn't love it. I think it was just like not one of my favorite shows. I was definitely more of a SpongeBob kid. Um, And I think like as I've kind of just been watching it more and more, like as I've gotten older, I've really just, I don't know, it's it's stuck with me a lot more than I think other things. I I watch a lot more Scooby-Doo than I do SpongeBob at this point now, you know? Wow. Um, And so, yeah, it's a little bit about me. Yeah. Um, I'm so similar with the, well, I guess a little dissimilar with the nostalgia. Um, I grew up, um, really loving like the cartoon and stuff. And then, uh, I really liked it throughout childhood and even me growing up in the 1990s, it felt like there was this like 
never-ending well of more and more Scooby stuff. And now that I'm an adult, it feels like there are even more. Uh, like Roger, I haven't seen everything, but I think I've seen more than like the average bear. Um, there's like a couple handful of like direct-to-video movies I haven't seen. I haven't seen the other live-action ones, uh, but we will get to those on the show. And uh, there's new stuff coming out all the time for Scooby. Um, I also really like uh, two things about it. One is kind of like the Hanna-Barbera, like just aesthetic. I've, I always thought was really cool growing up. And I think that like Scooby was such a good example of that because you have that kind of like uh, goofy art with the dog, which like hardly looks like Great Dane, you know, which are sort of elegant looking dogs. Um but then you have all these like really cool like spooky backgrounds in the show and just like really cool artwork that I think has like stuck in my brain for so many years. Or even like when they went to just being kind of inspired by the style, but like branching out in different ways, like Scooby-Doo and the Witches of Ghosts like sticks in my mind with like the design of like the Hex Girls. And I know that a lot of people that stuck with them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also just really like mysteries. I just think that they're fun. Uh that's been always something I really like is mysteries. I think I come from a long line of people who are just like really into like a, you know, like mystery thriller and true crime and Nancy Drew and stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. Scooby-Doo is a good part of uh, of that legacy, I think. Some parts better than others, but. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's definitely something that I, I didn't um, think to mention, but like. I also have not been, like, a huge mystery person, like, forever. Like, as a kid and things, I never, like, played Nancy Drew games or anything like that. My partner now does and everything. And um, I've played uh, some of those games, like, along with her and everything like that. And so I've gotten, like, progressively more and more into, like, mysteries. (laughs) And I think Mm -hmm. that's something that I also kind of gravitate to with Scooby-Doo is just having this, like, mystery element and, like, the, the... how they craft mysteries and things like that and how different, you know, adaptations have kind of taken that and they go a little bit spookier in some adaptations, a little bit sillier in some adaptations. And so, yeah, I also think I I really liked like horror as a child, but I was also very cowardly. So (laughs) Scooby-Doo was like the right level for me. (laughs) Like, are you afraid of the dark was like way too scary, even though I definitely wanted to watch it. Um, but uh, Scooby was like the perfect level of, ooh, there's like a scary clown or something, but it was like not that scary. <laughs> yeah. And of course, it's always revealed to be like some just bitter businessman or something like that at the end. Yeah, you know? exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Uh, do you want to jump into the first uh, first thing we're going to talk about today? The live action Scooby-Doo movie? Starting off strong. Yeah, I think it's just called Scooby-Doo the movie. And um, it's uh, it's the one that stars uh, Freddie Prince Jr., Sarah Michelle Gellar, um, Scott Innes as Scooby-Doo, Matthew Lillard as Shaggy, and then Linda Cardinelli as Velma. I love this movie. <laughs> I loved it when it came out. And I was watching it like Thursday night as we were preparing for this, still like laughing my ass off at like all the jokes and stuff. <laughs> It's such a great movie, man. Like, it's it's so good. Like, I just... There's so many things that I, I think it understands, like, inherently about, like, Scooby-Doo mm-hmm. as a whole. That I think it's just, like, a great... Um, 
like it, it pays tribute but it keeps things fresh i think and like it yeah. still feels very fresh i think um for a movie that came out like what 2000 2001 or so yeah it was it was like right after they had just done the really successful like um direct-to-video movies and there was like a little scooby renaissance i think it was like 2001 2002 yeah and 2002 you you can tell like looking at this movie you were like that is the early 2000s yeah um but they managed to do that and still keep the scooby aesthetic in like really cool ways like mm-hmm. they sort of like get that early 2000s style while still making the characters look like they are like 60s cartoon teenagers on a children's show which i thought Mm -hmm. was really neat um i know that this one has also gone down as sort of like an internet like kind of like oh what could have been um because james gunn who's obviously now very very famous especially in the uh like um superhero movie sphere uh Mm -hmm. wrote the the film um and originally it was supposed to have like an r rating and it was more of a deconstruction and stuff and like i would be really interested to like read the script of that um yeah me too but i almost think that like what they had to like keep to keep it like for so many different age ranges like letting kids watch it but then having like some asides for the adults in the room and stuff like I almost I I don't have anything to compare it to, but I'm like, it felt pretty funny, like having to do that. Just some of the little things that they would just like slip in, and then I think the kids' jokes even were still like pretty smart, and you could still watch it at like many different ages. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that I think kind of ends up working really well about it is that I know that James Gunn wanted to go for like this very adult um, thing, and some of those elements, of course, are in there. I mean, like the the wink wink nudge nudge that uh scooby and shaggy are smoking weed mm-hmm. um you know like the wink wink nudge nudge of like some sexual jokes there's those things in there but i think what actually kind of makes this movie work for kids like as someone that watched the movie in the target range of a child and then revisiting it later i think like it's it's that the movie doesn't feel like it's pandering to you, I think, in a lot of ways that a lot of yeah. kids' movies tend to do. You know, that the uh, the humor is just very silly to a fault, almost. Uh, it, it's, not, it's not as simple as I think sometimes um, people will do when they're trying to create something specifically geared for children. And so I think some of having those adult elements, even if we don't totally get the joke, um, I think kids like feeling like they're in on the joke, even if they don't completely understand it. Yeah. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. Like, there was some stuff that I saw that I was like, I definitely did not get what that was as a kid, but it's just sort of like funny like the beginning where it looks like shaggy and scooby are hot boxing in the mystery machine but it's actually that they're cooking eggplant burgers um i definitely wouldn't have gotten that as a you know small child but it, like watching it now i was like oh, okay that's cute um and still some of the funniest lines in the movie i think are not even like adult asides like i know no. that this is like your favorite line and yeah. i laugh every time I, I hear it too where it's like they call and it's for Scooby. It's like, is there a Mr. Do in here? And this guy stands up and is like, Melvin Do? <laughs> <laughs> Melvin Do. <laughs> and that part, I don't know, it's just so stupid, but so funny. Just every and the guy time. just goes like, no, Scooby. Scooby. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. I love that line so much. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, it's like, it, I wouldn't say like it's a quote unquote 
adult joke or anything, but it is one of those, like, just very funny, silly jokes. Yeah. That, like, doesn't feel like, I don't know, just, like, super dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, it's not, it's not like the, uh, the extended burp sequence or anything mm-hmm. like that. You know what I mean? Which, like, yeah. I think is, is very typical of, like, you're writing a scene for we know that there are going to be like five-year-olds in the audience. And so we need to have an extended burp sequence or fart sequence or something like that in the movie to keep their attention. Yeah. Yeah, and like, God, what a cast too in that movie. Like, I remember knowing who Freddie Prince Jr. and Sarah Michelle Gellar were from like various 90s things like going into the Mm -hmm. movie, but just watching it now, I'm like, God damn, there's Linda Cardinelli. Mm -hmm. There's uh, Matthew Lillard who is like, who has now become such a like classic yeah. Shaggy. Yeah, he's still voicing Shaggy and he does such a good Shaggy. And it's so interesting because like I know that I also read that um Mike Myers and uh Jim Carrey were both considered for Shaggy. And I'm like, I think that they would have gone too absurd with Shaggy, but Matthew Lillard yeah. is so good at those characters, making those characters like goofy enough that they're super memorable but also like rooting them a little bit more where it's not just like yeah. oh Matthew Lillard doing a bit whatever which you can kind of mm-hmm. get with uh with Mike Myers and Jim Carrey but like I mean you look at him in like Scream or anything else that he's done and he's just so good in every single movie like everyone's yeah. a banger we would have had a very very different Shaggy in this movie with Jim Carrey like oh my god yeah like the fart sequence that would have been like 5 minutes long like yeah, it was they absolutely it was pretty would have made long. it so long <laughs> yeah cuz i'm like in the movie it is fairly long <laughs> it just would have been even longer which like i do think like no shade to Jim Carrey i think Jim Carrey is great in his own way like i i actually think uh and this is a total aside i actually think like his version of uh, the Grinch is actually probably going to have more staying power than the original animated short, I think, at yeah, this point. Yeah, for sure. Um, for just most people. It just has more, I think, going on with it in general, of course, with the runtime. But I just love his portrayal, I think, of that character. But yeah, I think, like, when it comes to physical comedy and stuff, like, for sure, you could have had more of that with Jim Carrey. And with Mike Myers, like, that dude commits to a bit like nobody else. Um, and... I just really think like both of them would have missed, I think, a lot of the uh, almost like innocent qualities, I think, of Shaggy um, in yeah. a way like I wouldn't say that Shaggy's naive necessarily, but I do think that like um, and this is something they've they've talked about in other adaptations, like I think particularly Scoob, mm-hmm. um, like the role that Shaggy and Scooby kind of play in the team and that like Shaggy's really like the heart of the team um, and that everybody else is kind of like just doing other shit. <laughs> and yeah. so um, I-, I think that that's something that Matthew Lillard really nails about Shaggy in this movie while also being the comedic, you know, um, element of the movie as well, like with Scooby. So, yeah. There's almost like um, sometimes like a bite to Jim Carrey, not to say he's not like a mm-hmm. actor who can like tone this in, but him and Mike Myers have this sort of like edge to them that I think that Matthew Lillard, despite playing often very edgy characters, he brings like this nice like softness to them mm-hmm. that makes them like a little bit more interesting. And I think especially with the change from it being like an R-rated movie to then a PG movie, um, 
It really needed that because often because like at its core, and this is why part of why Scoob didn't work, um, Shaggy is just a guy whose best friend is a dog. <laughs> Mm -hmm. there's something like very innocent and like sweet about that like he's like scared of so much stuff but if you like give him a literal dog treat or his best friend is going in he will like put on a brave face and do it and i think that's kind of like cute and sweet and yeah for sure yeah and it's like you know putting jim carrey would have made so much like way over the top um which like at this level i think matthew lillard too dialed it into the rest of the cast which I think really worked um, because, you know, like many pieces of Scooby media, I think that part of what worked in this movie's favor was how even it was in terms of screen time, screen time for um, the gang. Like you see mm -hmm. Daphne doing her thing with her karate and like she gets a full storyline and Velma gets a full storyline and stuff. And it's mm -hmm. like probably the most on Shaggy and Scooby, Shaggy specifically and the least on Fred. But it yeah. feels a lot more even than like Scoob, for instance, where it's like all shaggy and there's a couple scenes with like the other guys, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think like if you are if you are somebody that's into, you know, one of the characters in the mystery gang that are not shaggy or Scooby, um, this is probably one of the better versions of mm -hmm. Scooby-Doo that you can watch, um, especially if you are you know, into Daphne, I think this is probably one of the more interesting versions of Daphne, I think, that yes. we get. Yeah. Um, like, I think that I've seen uh, a few different ideas for how to kind of tweak Daphne's character, um, different adaptations. Of course, they've uh, done something very different with Velma, which we will talk about, of course. Um, but I think, like, the version that we get here is... It, it kind of veers a little bit into like classic girl boss things that they do um, mm -hmm. with characters, but I think it does like keep itself from getting like too ridiculous with that. I think um, where it's just yeah. like, oh, she's just like super powerful all of a sudden. It just does like this random thing. Like, yeah, it's one of the more interesting ones that I've seen that does lean into the danger prone Daphne thing. Where mm -hmm. it's like, okay, yeah, it's like her getting caught on the time is a part of her character and like who she is, but we're going to put this kind of like interesting spin on it where, oh, she's like been doing karate and actually she is a, a big part of like, you know, helping the plans get finished and stuff like that. And it, it is like kind of like a girl bossy type of thing, but I think it works for an early 2000s kid movie. I think so. Yeah, it's super cute. And I think that like, I definitely like that better than the... Daphne is just like cloyingly sweet and like helping mm -hmm. the little robot guy thing in Scoob, which is like cool, I guess. Like, yeah. You know, um, but there is something that I think like I know that I as a, you know, small child um, really liked and identified with Daphne um, growing up. Partially because she has red hair. That was certainly the only reason why in the really early <laughs> ones where, the, where like none of them have a personality. But um, but yeah, I thought it was cool to see like Sarah Michelle Gellar, especially who plays such a butt kicker in every role, like, you know, play right. Daphne and have her be like highly feminine and stuff. But also like she's the one who beats up the bad guy at the end of the movie. And she like does all this cool like mountain climbing stuff. Yeah, um, I really like it. Sure. 
I I love I love her as Daphne in this movie, and I also think it's hilarious that like this clip has been going around for sure. But like the uh, the interview clip of like her talking about the movie in general and how like oh it's so great that it like it provides like you know so much depth to these characters and this this and that. And she's like going on gives this very eloquent answer about the movie, and then it cuts to Freddie Prince Jr. just going, "It's about a talking dog." <laughs> 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 and I'm like, that just definitely sums up both of their characterizations yeah. in this movie. <laughs> yeah, Fred was a little nothing in this movie. Um, he does have one of my favorite lines, which is, I am a man of substance. Dorky chicks like you turn me on, too. Um, I think that that's very funny. Uh, he doesn't do much else in the movie. My favorite Fred is personally from Mystery Incorporated, um, but Fred is another one that people really have trouble with dialing in, um, especially as we get later in the timeline of reality, like as we get later into the 20th century and into the 21st century, because you don't want to have the white blonde guy be just the leader TM. Right, yeah. Especially because you have like this character who is a woman, sometimes is portrayed as a woman of color, who is like a genius. <laughs> so it feels weird to just be like, yeah, that guy's in charge. Right. Yeah. I think I think Fred is very hard to get. And I think in this one they definitely end up making like Fred the butt of the joke more times than yeah. that. Which is which is honestly like fine. I think I'm certainly not here to be like shaking my fist at like, where's the retribution for the white man in this movie? Yeah. Uh, like I I certainly think that he's the de facto leader, of course. I mean, like from the you know, original kind of onset of the show and everything. He drives the mystery machine and everything, mm-hmm. of course, literally. And so, like, there's that. So I think, but it, what's weird is in other adaptations, he's more of an asshole, I think, mm-hmm. to other people on the team. Yeah. Uh, Fred in this one, I think it may be because some bits were cut out, to be honest, with the yeah. more, like, explicit kind of cut. Um but I imagine that's what they were going for. But I think what we end up getting is more of like just bumbling idiot mm-hmm. um, kind of in the role, which is fine. I think that Freddie Prince Jr. is already really good at doing that anyway, mm-hmm. um, which, of course, is like that was every character he was doing essentially at this time because he was super hot. I think yeah. he was like probably the biggest star in this other than Sarah Michelle Gellar um at the time this movie came out and so i think he was the one that i recognized first on the poster mm-hmm. um when i was younger and so i think that he was probably one of like the main like motivators for me to see it like in in terms of like star power i guess other than oh there's a talking dog in it scooby doo um mm-hmm. but yeah it's 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 interesting his like version of basically being like a dumb frat guy essentially yeah I did read somewhere, I did not fact check this, so my apologies to Mr. Prince Jr. if this is not true, but I did read somewhere that um, in the original script, Fred was supposed to be a gay man, and that was like mm. informing some of his dis- like character decisions um, as as they went. Like He was just playing him as just like this like incredibly vain like gay man and of course at the end of the movie we see that you know Fred and Daphne get together which i think that this might be if not the earliest one of the earliest versions of Fred and Daphne being like an official couple in the canon which i do know in the original script it was supposed to be some sort of like uh implication that 
um, Daphne and Velma had a thing. And like, there are some times where if you like watch it with that in mind, you can be like, okay, I can kind of see how like that would have made it to the original cut cut of the movie or that the characters, um, the actors rather were thinking about that as they were uh, playing these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm disappointed that we didn't get our uh, Velma and Daphne couple. <laughs> I always think that that's kind of fun. Too progressive for 2002. I know, which I was, um, as I was watching it and watching those parts and like thinking about that, um, I did think of a poem by um, Pat Parker that's called For the Folks Who Don't Mind Gays But Wish They Weren't So Blatant. Um, And this poem was written in like the 1980s, I think, but I was thinking of, uh, you know, the weird dichotomy even in the 2000s where it feels almost like a time capsule that like you Mm -hmm. would present a straight relationship and not like a queer relationship. And there are people who, you know, still have um, major issues with this and are trying to legislate that queer people cannot be around children because they think that there's something inherently like fetishized or sexual about it but i mean the line from the poem that i keep thinking of was um i'm not quoting this exactly but it's basically like oh like a straight woman will tell you that two women kissing is like just too much and shouldn't be so in her face but in the same breath will tell you that she's pregnant i'm Mm -hmm. like yep (laughs) we can show two people kissing but they have to be like you know a man and a woman a cis man and a cis woman yeah um that was one thing that honestly I didn't really even think about until like maybe a few years ago, I think, with with um there was somebody I honestly can't even remember who it was. But I saw like some uh video essentially with them breaking down how like pregnancy being depicted in media has like uh essentially gone from like extremely taboo to like mm-hmm. extremely commonplace. Yeah. Um and how it's like it has not been the same for like other you know like depictions of sexuality and things like that or yeah anything which it's so weird yeah um it was i love lucy in um you know the 1950s or 60s whatever that show was on um lucy the person you know lucille ball uh, was pregnant and they were like oh we have to cancel the show like we can't hide this and it, that was i think the first time on television or at least one of the first times that they had like shown a pregnant woman but then also like they showed like the baby after and the baby didn't just like appear like you know ricky and lucy were married and then had a baby (laughs) um but yeah you see that like so much right now there is you know i mean most people know where babies come from uh but still there is such this idea that queerness is like um almost like a fetish or something very taboo that it like can't mm-hmm. be shown to like children or you know general audiences um but it's just like weird when you think about it that like you know what's so different of like fred and daphne kissing versus like daphne and velma right yeah and i think that there's there's definitely been like a lot of a lot of people that have talked about the i can't remember if it was in it was in the second movie, I think, where it gets a lot more overt, I think, on the Velma is hot uh, mm. thing, uh, where they basically have that. But she's also, like, in a a straight relationship in that movie, but it, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I don't know, it just seems very forced, um, I think, in that one in particular. <laughs> yeah, they, like, really go into the, like, oh, no, she's hetero, <laughs> don't worry. Here she is in a cat suit. Seth Green is there to be her boyfriend. 
It's all good. Don't worry. And Seth Green's kind of awful in that one, but. Yeah, and that's when she like kind of had a guy she was talking to, and that's actually where I thought that the Daphne thing was like the most clear because it kind of seemed sometimes like Daphne was portrayed as being like a little jealous or something. Um, I could just be reading into that. They might have never like filmed those parts with that in mind, but mm-hmm. yeah, it is just like weird. It, it feels very strange to just sort of like reverse engineer Velma into like her relationship. It definitely does, for sure. Yeah, especially with someone who's not part of the gang. Like, we all know the gang is just one big polycule, but... Um, yeah, I feel like Fred is, is on the outskirts of that polycule. Yeah. Fred And Fred's there. <laughs> when we get to talking about Mystery Incorporated, the polycule thing gets, uh, <laughs> gets really weird. <laughs> I love that show so much. <laughs> Fred just takes care of Scooby. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, we're also in the uh, Monsters Are Real era of Scooby-Doo. Yeah. We're sort of starting out with that in our, like, Scooby discussion slash rewatch. Uh, the monsters are, in fact, real, which was not a thing until Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, I want to say. Whatever one was first in those. Yeah, uh, like, I think so. DVD. Yeah. I think Zombie Island was, like, 99. Yeah. Yeah, those those all came out. Or like 98, 98, 98, yeah. Yeah, 98, 99. Some, I think they went through like 2000 or 2001 or something, and this was like the first big thing right after, unless there's like a show or something I'm forgetting. I don't have like a timeline in front of me that's going off in my own memory. Yeah, it's always interesting with the monsters are real thing, um, especially with a movie being so enclosed. I think that that works. With the shows, it gets a little bit stranger, I think. Yeah, for sure. There's no, like, unmasking, although I did really like in this one that Scrappy was the villain. I always thought that that was, like, really funny. And shows kind of, like, an appreciation and, like, an in with the group, like, the in with the Scooby fans that, uh, that, like, you would be like, all right, everyone agrees, Scrappy's kind of awful. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk about it. He's going to be the bad guy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that Scrappy's kind of terrible. But oddly enough, I think I was like super into Scrappy-Doo as a kid. So it like broke my heart a little bit to have uh, Scrappy be like the villain. Yeah, I think it did with me too, honestly. <laughs> and like looking back now, I'm like, God, that is such a character that only works for like pretty young kids. Because anyone else is like, this is the most annoying shit in the entire <laughs> world. Puppy power! <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, I, I do think like that's... <laughs> It's one of those things that probably works more as like an adult watching the movie is being yeah. like, oh, yes, Scrappy gets its come up in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because Scrappy was only there for like one show or, or something. He wasn't in like a lot of the Scooby stuff or like they mentioned him in passing in like other ones. I think that a pup named Scooby-Doo works better with the young dog thing. And th- that is sort of the thing, too. It's like they already have a talking dog. This is already like the character for the kids. Why are we adding it? Is like Scooby, like, has he been around too long? Is he like too adult now that we need to add like another talking dog to be like the kid character? <laughs> They were like, Scooby's too calm and reasonable. We need a more ridiculous talking dog. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I like this movie so much. Yeah, I like this one quite a bit. And one of the first appearances I can remember of Isla Fisher actually in this movie, 
playing Mary Jane. Yeah. One of the more overt drug references in this yeah. movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really liked her in it. I thought she was good. I don't think I realized for many years that that was her because she's blonde in that movie. Mm-hmm. But I, I always think that she's funny. I don't know that I actually, like, she, like, went on my radar until, like, Wedding Crashers. Yeah, um, I think that's Years that's later. Fair. Uh, but I really liked her in this. I thought she was cute. Yeah, I thought she was super cute. Honestly, I had like a huge crush on her as a kid from this mm, movie. Nice. And then I did not recognize her at all in Wedding Crashers as Mary Jane from Scooby-Doo. And then when I rewatched it after seeing those, I was like, oh, it all makes sense. I, think. <laughs> I was like memory unlocked. Yeah. And now she's married to Borat. And now she's married to Borat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen doesn't get his full name. He's just Borat. He's um, just Borat now. He's just my wife. <laughs> my wife. All right, we did our Borat thing on the podcast. We can pack it in. <laughs> <laughs> there we but, go. This is a good podcast. <laughs> good podcast, everyone. But it only took us thirty minutes to get to a Borat reference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Th- those are most of the notes that I had on. Um, on that particular movie, um, and we are about half an hour in, so do we want to talk a little bit about Velma, or did you have more stuff that you wanted to say? No, honestly, I think, like, it's, um, I'm glad that we got to start with that one, because I'm like, there are definitely some worse versions of mm-hmm. these characters in other movies, and so I'm glad we can start with something we both enjoy. <laughs> we yeah. just have lots of positive things to say. Yeah, it was, um, to contrast with something I'm about to say... It was just the characters in it were really good, both in how they were deconstructed as Scooby characters and how they sort of like leaned into the tropes. That being said, let's talk about Velma. (laughs) Um, Oh, boy. This is the uh, new show on HBO Max. Not all of the episodes are out at the time of this recording. Um, Only two episodes are out. We watched both of them. And what were your thoughts? I will say... Before I even talk about the episodes themselves, I did watch the trailer for this um, show maybe a day before, and I had an uneasy feeling watching the trailer. I don't think I had like quite as like violent a reaction, I think, as some people did. Yeah. Like, the trailer did not get a positive response at all from a lot of people. Well, to be fair, also the announcement of this show didn't get a positive response from people. It no. was just really not good um but i think the like kind of off kilter adult tone Mm -hmm. of the trailer kind of like stood out to me right away and that does not go away over the course of those episodes um it is a very it's a very odd tone for the show Mm -hmm. and i will say that the trailer if you have seen it is very true to the tone of the show. If you are like, I don't like that tone, then you probably will not like the tone of the show, at least as it currently exists with yes. the first two episodes out. Um, but yeah, I, I think like that's something there. But overall, I think that the biggest issue I have with the show is its tone more than anything. I also have issues with characterization. I have issues with the jokes themselves in the show, but... I think that's the biggest thing that's, like, my number one thing with the show is just, like, the tone is all over the place and kind of off. I I agree 100% that the trailer gives you a good idea of what you're in for. Um, If Mindy Kaling does adult animation 
sounds really cool to you, you have a better shot at liking it. Um, I think that people sort of bounce off of her style for a number of reasons. Um, I think that I didn't hate the show as much as like a lot of people did. Um, it certainly has that problem that a lot of adult animation like Family Guy, South Park, American Dad, those shows have where it leans really hard into political satire um, to the point where it like blurs the lines of what it's trying to promote. Um, I know that there's one line that goes around on Twitter where uh, Velma, the character, says something like, oh, like every male comedian before me too, I'm going to tell it like it is. And people really bristled at that line. And I don't, you know, I think it's fine if you want to say that, like, Me Too is kind of, like, off limits for comedy. I think that's fair enough. Um, my slight defense of that is that that particular moment, we're not supposed to think Velma's saying a cool, good thing. It's supposed to yeah. show Velma's being kind of a jackass. Um, yeah. How effective that is with people watching it is sort of like up for debate. And I think that satire in general is kind of up for debate in terms of its effectiveness. Um, I don't think that it portrays any like uh, secret conservatism that Mindy Kaling has. Um, no. I think that she's a left-leaning person who's doing edgy comedy and that has uh, that has weird effects sometimes. Yeah. Insofar as the characters go, I think this is like, I hate asking this question because like usually when I don't get something I, I try to like dive into the person's head until I do try to see what they're trying to do mm -hmm. um, this one I genuinely was sort of like I don't get why this is Scooby-Doo because the characters being the characters don't really tell us anything about the characters you know Velma isn't this like Velma likes to solve mysteries but she's not really quite uh, the genius prototype that we see in um in most versions of scooby fred mm -hmm. retained that he is a white guy and shaggy retained that he likes snacks and Vel and uh, daphne rather uh retained that she has red hair and that's about it yeah. um i it, so i was really like i don't get like why this wasn't just adult comedy especially because there's no scooby like if scooby was there then i'd be like okay you know whatever um, yeah. but it seems like they took very basic elements of character design like just in terms of looks and stopped mm -hmm. there yeah it's it's like one of the things that i think a lot of people probably i i certainly had that question right up to the trailer of like why is this a scooby-doo show um like what does this really have to do with anything and then i think like the there's like this opening monologue too for the first episode that feels like just so shitty <laughs> like just uh i think uh mindy as velma says something to the effect of like oh i'm the i'm the center of the team not fred and his weird sex van or something like that yeah. and like it's it's like that whole like i'm it just feels very like i'm doing away with everything you like about scooby-doo essentially is like the tone of the show essentially like they even they even, like, uh, try to poke fun at, like, the is Shaggy a stoner or not? Um, and in this one, they're like, no, the joke is that Shaggy is vehemently not into drugs. And that's yeah. it. There's really, like, nothing more to it. It's just I'm not into drugs at all. And I'm like, that's that's the joke. The joke is just, like, what we've come to understand about these characters is not that. 
there's the joke. Yeah. And it like, it. Tr- I think that the opening monologue like tries to imply that the show is going to be a deconstruction of adult animation or just adult shows in general and also a deconstruction of Scooby-Doo. And it's really neither of those things. Yeah. Um, I don't think it has like that sort of like a, like if you look at like Kevin Smith or like Judd Apatow, how they are like so in conversation with pop culture all the time. Mm-hmm. I kind of don't think that the show is. I think that it like makes references and stuff, but um, but it's really not trying to deconstruct something in a particularly clever way. It's just sort of like presenting it and being like, ah we know about this pop culture thing. Like we know about this thing within the culture, but it doesn't like go on to do anything with it. Um, Granted, this is just the first two episodes, but it certainly didn't bode particularly well for me. No, no, not at all. And um, I mean, of course, I mean, like with every show, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, exposition in your first episode, your first two episodes, hell, your first season um, of like who your characters are. But I was, like, honestly just trying to get a grasp of who these people are. Because I think of over the the first episode, you spend maybe the first, like, four minutes of the first episode just having voiceover um, yeah. for Velma, essentially. And, um, and she's just giving you so much information. And I also still don't understand how she enters the scene that actually happens at all. So it opens with like the shower scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I still don't understand why Velma comes in the way that she does. It's like a, it's like a fake out that like she's a murderer or something yeah. because the voiceover says that it starts with a murder. And so she comes into the shower and she's like, you know, you know in camera movement and everything like portrayed Mm -hmm. to be this killer but revealed to be velma i just don't even understand why she did that at all yeah i think that she maybe she said at one point i remember being confused why it was velma too why she's just like wandering into the shower in like a black hoodie and stuff maybe they did say at some point i might have to like go back and watch that part again um but it just sort of needed her to be the fake out there that like, oh, no, it's not Daphne who gets killed. It's this other random person. Yeah. Um, and like we do get like a little bit of the other girls, like their personalities and stuff. It's just like it's because it opens on the one girl's murder. You don't know a lot mm-hmm. about her, although the other characters do talk about her briefly later. Um I also think the thing with, like, Fred, where, like, Velma's like, oh, like, you know, it's Fred. He's the, like, white guy with the tiny dick. Of course it's him. Um, is, like, it feels, like, weirdly, like, something that would have been on a show, like, 10 years ago. Not mm-hmm. to, like, not to imply that I'm trying to be like, oh, she shouldn't joke about white dudes. That's, like, too far, because I don't. But also, it just doesn't <laughs> feel timely. <laughs> We're not allowed to talk about Fred on this show without defending all white men in their portrayal <laughs> in every, in every yeah. movie and show. <laughs> yeah, I do think that that's... It's, it's really weird, and I think... Uh, Again, I think it's it's a, a, a thing that I've seen some people say in, in some of their uh, takes on this show that... Um, it's very mean spirited, I think is the the thing with it. Yeah. And I think that that's um it's like it's mean to the characters, it's mean to the audience. Um mm-hmm. and just I, I I think that that's something where it's like 
again, I think the big bulk of the jokes are like, hey, this thing that you know about this character, it's not that. Yeah. It's like we're not finding a clever way of subverting that. It's just like (laughs) we're just going to say that it's not that. Yeah. Yeah, it's very odd. Um, I was trying to think in Mindy Collings' career where this would lie. And so I've seen a lot of her stuff. Um, and mm-hmm. like, I like some of it even. Like, I really like Never Have I Ever. And I think that parts of The Office are really funny and parts of it really do not hold up for many, many reasons. Um, so I I think that this goes more towards The Office. Like, she's pulling out, like, when she was, like, a writer on The Office and they had that, like, mean-spiritedness that I think, mm-hmm. like... <laughs> I think that some of the worst examples of that are some of the worst examples of, like, an episode on The Office. Like, I think mm-hmm. back to, like, um, season two, the Christmas party episode. And that one is, like, Michael is kind of an asshole at, like, various points. But mm-hmm. it's not, like, as mean-spirited as, you know, as different episodes of The Office are. And I think it's one of the funniest episodes. Um or I think of like Never Have I Ever, which keeps the like Mindy Mindy Kaling really likes to um, write jackasses, but mm-hmm. she like you know Divi is so lovable in that show, and you just like root for her regardless because you know she's a kid and she's figuring stuff out. And I wish that we would have kept that softness in Velma. I think it would have worked a lot better. And I think again, like when I was. Um, it was interesting watching this directly after watching the first live action Scooby-Doo movie because that's actually why I was thinking about the rating, you know, going from an R rating down to a PG PG rating. You know, it still stayed pretty funny, but this one, it was like they were trying to earn that R rating. They were really trying to push the envelope yeah. however they could. And I'm just like, that's not actually funny. Like, Yeah, they're really trying to push it for like, oh, we're on HBO. Like, this is an HBO property, you know, now. And yeah. Yeah, and they like tried to do something with like, oh, the first episode is always sexier, like, you know, whatever show. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, like, yeah, I guess. I guess that shows that you're, like, in tune with some elements of pop culture. But it would have almost been funnier if they just had kept the cockroaches having sex thing and then kept the whole weird shower thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I definitely think, like, and I think, like, there was something, like, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting that, like, the first joke I think in the show that's like a visual gag is the cockroaches having sex. And then that's also how the episode ends with the cockroach. I was like, I see the structure here. I like this, what they're doing here with like, it's like a a clue, but it's also a joke. Um, The thing with that, with the the cockroaches. But yes, you are spot on with like this. Um, And you said it before about how like there's something that, they just present to you like, hey, we know of this thing in pop culture, but don't really have much to say other than that of like, isn't it funny how like there's all this unnecessary nudity and then they just have an unnecessary nudity scene? Yeah. Yeah. It's like if you're going to do that, you have to be like clever also. And that's I think so much of the problem is the show just isn't particularly clever. Like it it shows you stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, yeah, well, this thing. And then it yeah. just, like, leaves it and it doesn't, like, do anything with it. My sort of, I guess, compliment sandwich here is especially during the um, 
during the hallucination scenes. I think that the art is really cool. Like, I really like. Oh, the I color love those scenes actually. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just like, if we could like turn the sound off and just cut the rest of the show, this would actually be kind of dope. Like, I really yeah. so. I mean, my genuine props to the artists on that show. I think those scenes are so cool. Um, but. Yeah, just the rest of it is kind of a mess. And I'm also like, I don't know, I kind of like Shaggy, I guess, on this one. Like, I think his thing with uh, with like the sword is cute. Um, uh, I wish that they had more of that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, because that's kind of like the B plot of what is that, the second episode there? Yeah, that he's like trying to, he like, and that's and I guess like. He's trying to sell like, this sword. Yeah, I guess that that's like a funnier, like. Hey, I'm in on pop culture thing where he's just like, well, in movies they do this, and he tries all the different things that they try in movies to like get the girl. Like mm-hmm. I know that that was like cute. Um, it was probably the best part of episode two for me. Um, even that, I think that like I was sort of like, why don't they make Shaggy a coward? Because like it feels like he should be <laughs> like in the situations he gets in, but yeah, instead he's like sure. this sword wheeling badass, and it feels like that's almost an accident. Like it doesn't like it's not even part of a deconstruction or anything. It's just like a different thing that they did. Yeah, it's just like no, he's just a different character. Yeah, and I think I think one of the things um, that I would also probably say for anybody who you know wants to venture into this is if you, you'd probably enjoy this show a lot more if you don't think about these characters as Scooby-Doo characters. Yes, yeah. <laughs> really. And yeah, it's that's what's so bizarre to me. And I really like don't like being like, oh, I didn't like this, I didn't get it. But because I think that you should try to get it, like if you're, especially if you're trying to analyze it, if you're just looking for something to watch, watch, I think, you know, have that be however you want. But I really do struggle to like, figure out why this is scooby-doo because yeah. if, if, if this were just random characters i think that the early reception would have been better because people wouldn't have watched the trailer and been like well that's not mm-hmm. scooby-doo because it's it's yeah. not um, yeah but yeah oh I, i've been saying shaggy his name is norval because that's shaggy's yeah, it's, real name it's, it's explicitly norval not it's explicitly not shaggy in yeah the it's show. Norval. yeah i just i kind of don't get it yeah I think I think another thing that also is kind of frustrating about um, watching this show, and I I do also want to echo your your uh, compliment for the animation. I think in general the show is animated very well, particularly the um, you know the hallucination sequences. I think are really cool. They look super badass, um, and I think just in general the show looks pretty good, even for like I don't know. I think adult animation all kind of skews the same way for the most part these days. Like you have your, everything kind of looks like Rick and Morty at this point. Yeah. Um, And so, but I think just overall it's animated fairly well. Um, I did think that there's like a certain um, quality to Noraville that I think kind of comes through with Sam Richardson voicing him that is very different. It's obviously not the Shaggy we have come to know at all, but I do think that one element that I don't know if it's the way that he's explicitly written or if it's just Sam Richardson and how I associate with like his voice in general, I do get this kind of like he's the most wholesome character in this show mm-hmm. <laughs> that, he that, like he's certainly the most wholesome character in the show in and he has probably the most like um 
I, I think like justified kind of motivations and things in this yeah. show. It should be it should be Norval instead of Velma. That's my hot take. Yeah, I'm like I he like should Norval. be the center of this show. <laughs> this thing with the murder mystery is is not it, but I like Norval. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like he's 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 okay. I think that he's in in not a great show right now, but I mean, you know, he's he's fine. Yeah. Um and I think there's um there's also some very interesting like character changes that they made for Daphne mm-hmm. um making her entirely different. Um, I think like she's, I think they've done like the mean girl, like depictions of Daphne before, Mm -hmm. but I don't think they've done it quite like they've done it in this show where they had like this falling out. It's, it's basically like a mean girls kind of situation, um, where, you know, there's these two childhood best friends. One gets very popular and the other one does not. And they kind of do that, um, you know, with Velma and Daphne here. Yeah. And then having Daphne be connected to her lesbian cop parents and much of their lines are just, you know, we're not good cops. And I'm like, yeah. okay, that's the joke. It's just like, we're bad at our jobs. And yeah. then they just point out that, you know, cops are often depicted as bad, but whatever. Um, as bad at their jobs or whatever. Um, and so I think what was weird about this one, though, especially in the second episode um, with Daphne of this uh, reveal that she's uh, selling drugs at the school and um, like her reason for it is just like to, to make to make money. Yeah. Yeah. And they really set that up like it was going to be like, a deconstruct a deconstruction or subversion or something but then it was just to make money and then i think that they <laughs> thought that that was the subversion but it like kind of like i don't know it was just weird it's like, just really <laughs> odd things strange. where i'm just yeah. like it's it's like there's sometimes where i think like this show will just try to build up to something and then it'll just say like nope it's it's not that now isn't this fun subversion? And I'm like, no, it's just stupid. Yeah. Like, like, this is just stupid now. Yeah. It's like the glass onion thing of just, no, it's just dumb. No, it's just dumb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hope that we get more out of Daphne. Um, they are setting up kind of an interesting, like, romance thing, romance shape, where it's like Velma vaguely likes Fred, and Daphne and Norval both like her. Mm-hmm. And Daphne and Fred were sort of vaguely dating and are not anymore. Um, it's it's all over the place, as, as I think Mystery Inc. should be, because we do need explanations. Yeah, um, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, I kind of wish Scooby was in it, if I was being honest. I would at least make it more Scooby-Doo, but I feel like it's so separated. That's just like, okay, they just like have taken the names and very basic character design. But now they're like contributing to the canon somehow, and it's like, it's very odd. Yeah, I do think having like the lack of Scooby really kind of makes it awkward for like what does shaggy do what does norville do (laughs) you know because i'm like he's 
<laughs> he just has so little to do, I think, just in this, like, setup of the team. Which yeah. I, I am fairly intrigued, though, of, like, how this show will continue to go. Because I will continue to keep watching it, of course. Yeah, yeah, um, me too. But I'm, like, I'm interested to see, like, if they can pull it together of, like, what what do you do when you take out Scooby from this team? <laughs> like, yeah. What does Norville actually do? yeah. Because definitely, because he's not the coward, because I think that the no. coward thing would firmly not work when mm-hmm. it's like no Scooby, because, you know, then it's like funny. It's like, oh, Shaggy and the dog are doing this. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does like, I don't know, we haven't seen all of them together is the other thing. So I'm kind of mm-hmm. curious how this is all going to like, in, like go together as like Mystery Incorporated. Yeah. I do think it's also interesting that they set it in a Crystal Cove instead of Coolsville. Uh, mm. Crystal Crystal Cove is where uh, is where Mystery Incorporated, the show, is set mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, has sort of been shifting, um, you know, based on other Scooby properties. Like if they're setting it in Coolsville, like everyone is from Coolsville or everyone is from Crystal Cove, which I think is a yeah. super interesting thing. And I think when they want it to be more grounded, they say Crystal Cove because the name just is better than Coolsville. <laughs> you don't think Coolsville sounds like a real place? Yeah, apparently not. See, I actually think that that would have like <laughs> sort of worked for this show, being like it would have, yeah, as goofy as it is. Like Velma could have talked about that in her voiceovers, like, "Oh, we're from Coolsville," but but yeah, they're from Crystal Cove, which I thought was like a cool little nod because um, I was surprised. I think it was even in the trailer they showed the Crystal. It was Crystal Cove High School. Um, so I'm like, ooh, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think there's um, there's a lot that I think that can, I think, improve in the show. I'm hopeful that there will be some things that will improve. I think one thing that I have not mentioned, I think there's the uh, clip, I think, that's probably gone around a lot at this point of the uh, one of the jokes that they make with Fred um, he's on trial being, you know, accused of murdering this girl. And a lot of the humor of the show is just kind of like, uh, I don't know, um, it's adult animation humor, basically. Um, and they do the uh, the bit where he has all this makeup on and his eyelash falls off and it looks like he has a, a Hitler mustache um, mm-hmm. when it suddenly rains. And I think that that bit's been going around. And I think it's it is kind of in overall i think like issue with the the jokes of the show not knowing what they're poking fun at and who they're poking fun at and i think it's it's trying to be like everyone's getting a joke um but like i said it just ends up coming off kind of mean and so it's it's interesting to see where this kind of goes also velma's a total like just really like self-centered and mean person in the show yeah um which of course i mean it's for her to have an arc right um you know she can't just be like fully formed here at the start but i think it's like i think having your character even say like explicitly i can't admit i was wrong is like i don't know just like a little too on the nose maybe with her too yeah yeah i agree and that's like you know, that's a lot of characters that she plays, that she writes. Um, I th- Like I said, I think it works better in, like, Never Have I Ever because um, people 
just they they grow a little bit faster and they have this sort of like softness to them and they're not quite bad evil people Mm -hmm. um but um yeah i'm so curious and like i can't help but think like you know thinking back to the like meanness of it and the adult animation thing of like Mm -hmm. mel brooks who did work a lot in like satire and like you know famously like has a portrayal of of hitler and like um you know the producers and stuff mm-hmm. and he was always so careful and you can feel about mel brooks however you would like but you know he was like always careful that like you know if he's like using hitler in a joke the joke is clearly on hitler like making him a you know flamboyantly gay man um versus all the people who died in the holocaust and i think that like with this show and a lot of other shows who deal in the space that line gets like so lost you know? Yeah, for sure. And it for makes sure. it, you know, when stuff is shared out of context on Twitter, it makes it like unclear who the joke is on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I think that that's, that's probably like a, just an overall like issue. I think that the show is just having in general is that the joke is, it's unclear who the joke is actually on. And that it just feels like it's, like I said, just very mean to the audience, uh, mean to the characters in the show. Um yeah, and it's just really weird. A really weird show. But yeah. I will say overall, I mean like outside of the context of Scooby Doo, outside of its, you know, uh outside of some of the jokes and things like that, overall I didn't think that the episodes themselves like were completely terrible. Um, as in like just the pure structure of the story. I think the kind of pace of the mystery that's kind of unfolding over the course of the season it's you know figuring out why this string of murders is happening i think that all that's fairly okay it's just like underneath a whole lot of shit (laughs) yeah it's like there's there's elements there that i think are totally fine um you know but it's just under a whole lot of layers of adult animation shit yeah and that's why I was also like, I don't think I hated this as much as everyone else seemed to. Because um, I didn't think it was like brilliant. I didn't like love it. I'm like counting down until the next episode. I am going to finish it um, both for this podcast and also because I'm curious where it goes from here. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's something there that I think makes like an all right show. Um, it is buried under all sorts of other stuff that I think outweighs like what is good about this show um, a lot of the time. But I don't know, maybe that'll soften as it goes and like you get more into the plot and the gang gets together because also at the end of two episodes, we don't have the gang together. Uh, right. Which I think is like, I know that they put out two so that people could like get further into the show, but I'm almost like you needed to have everyone together by by the two, you know, <laughs> if yeah. that's how you were releasing your episodes. Yeah, um, it did seem weird that they didn't put them all together. Yeah. So I I don't know. I'm curious. I'll keep an open mind as I continue to go. I tried to keep an open mind after the trailer. And I was like, okay, so the trailer is very similar to the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll see if it keeps on keeping on, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I at least had a couple of laughs in there somewhere. I don't think that there was a lot of them. And I certainly did not laugh very hard. But I did get a couple of <laughs> in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that progresses into a full-on laugh. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, I think that for me, that about does it for my talk about Velma. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. So I guess when we meet next time, we will have more pieces of Scooby property to talk about. Um, probably more episodes of Velma too. Um, yeah. Feeling good? Yeah. Feeling great. Okay. And uh, yeah. So uh, join us next time as we continue to explore the Scooby-verse and talk about the this new show that neither of us particularly loved. <laughs> and there's no Scooby, but it's and still in the no Scooby-verse. Scooby. Yep. The, the Mystery Inc-verse, I guess, is, is more apt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Breaking news, increased sightings of a mysterious graffiti symbol have residents of Hell, Michigan nervous. While some may say this could be from local teen pranksters, others worry that the symbols could mean something more. Could there be a connection to the teen pop idol Ricky Q who disappeared in Hell last year? More information after the break. Then she would also ask if you saw the latest. He thinks that some sort of like power is being drained. Oh God, it's even at Jesus Christ. You you still pass the couple places where you have seen these symbols. Uh, breaking in? She gives him like a sideways glance. To follow this story and more, check out Fables Around the Table, Greetings from Hell, wherever you get your podcasts. Why do you want to be a hero? Yeah, she's gonna sort of like uh, drop down out of the sky and try to kick him like, you know, square in the chest. Look, I don't know what you're fucking trying to do here, but I don't make deals with enemies who put grenades in a box like they're the $5 movie bin. Release Miss Terry, or you all will be the ones that are extinct. I don't know if I can have an honest conversation with Royale as a corgi. You're right, it's fucking not funny. I mean, literally no one would find this funny. Remix, use the dragon filter, that would make it funny. It's just like man standing emoji. Just T-posing in the corner. <laughs> Who is your contact? Benchmark. Who? Hey, I just need Buzz Nest for like one minute, and then you guys can go back to whatever you were doing. Check out Season 2 of Cape Chronicles starting Wednesday, October 5th, every first and third Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. File folders contain important information. Hey, I'm Saker. And I'm Evan. And our podcast is It's All Been Done, a Bare Naked Ladies podcast. Hey, what's that podcast about, Ev? So, do you know of a band called Bare Naked Ladies? One week! Yeah, yeah, that's one of them. Okay, all right, cool. Yeah, I know. Yeah, of them. Did you ever want to learn more about them? Or... Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, well then this is the podcast for you because we teach you nothing with various guests. Yeah, like uh, like Matt Besser. Holy we shit! Climbed in a second story window and partied in this house where we barely we didn't know at all the people. That was crazy. Holy fuck, Mike Mitchell. Why? Well, I, I don't know how how like how much you guys really do. Love bare naked ladies. Justin McElroy. Grab your tongue. Grab your tongue, and I want you to say Our born tongue. on a pirate ship. You were born on a pile of shit. And many more. So check it out. But also if you don't like bare naked ladies, we talk about them probably like a third of the time. So uh, yes. That's every Tuesday, wherever fine podcasts are sold. We could make a board game about it. 
Back on Toral, I was a nobody. I got teleported out here, and here I'm something. I'm somebody. The Voidfarer begins maneuvering towards this 200-meter-long space whale. The handle of these need grit. Is that something you have? I'm a tiny little guy. Of course I got grit. If you tried anything, it would end very poorly for you. This alithid dreadnought warps away, accelerating the spell jamming speed as quickly as they arrive. Who the fuck? What am I trying to say here, Ravnus? That we're crew. I like that. We're crew. That is a natural one. You send yourself sailing out the side of the ship, untethered. Oh, I'm putting a python into the ground. I'm wrapping my rope around it, and I'm jumping into the gravity well. (laughs) A gnome, a halfling, and a half-orc walk into a bar. I forget the middle part, but the punchline is feathers everywhere, and that's not my peanut butter. I cast Tasha's Idiot's (laughs) Wrapper. Climb aboard for Tales of the Voidfarer, wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh, my consequences have actions. (laughs) Wait, (laughs) wait, wait, wait. projectderailed.com